It really is all about the word. If we go to God's word, God's word tells us everything, not that we want to know, but that we need to know. How do you find and keep hope alive? I will find hope in what Jesus Christ did for me. Do we believe? My hope is centered totally, completely in him. Do we trust? I have hope today because of what Jesus did on the cross. His hope doesn't change. Hope is triumph in our trial. Thank you for joining me today. My name is John Wood. I'm the afternoon host of The Light FM. It's a privilege to have you here, and I'm excited to introduce you to some great men who have a word of encouragement for you. NFL head coach, Hall of Fame head coach, I should add, and author, Coach Tony Dungy. Coach, it's great to see you today. Hey, John. Good to be with you. You've probably seen him on the set, and you know him as JB. James Brown joins us as well, host of NFL Today on CBS. JB, great to see you as well. John, thank you very much, and it's always a pleasure to be with my guy, Tony Dungy. Well, we're excited to have both of you, and as we're talking, we're getting ready for Father's Day ahead of, you know, what is a different Father's Day for many, and certainly a season that I think most people did not expect to be in. I'm curious, though, most people might think that you guys, y'all probably haven't made, life's been easy since this pandemic has set in. I'm curious, just how are the families doing, Coach? Well, I will tell you, we've had a lot less travel. My calendar got cleared probably for the first time since high school. I could look out eight weeks and say there's really nothing on this calendar, and that's been awesome. But the other side of the coin is different responsibilities. We went to homeschooling. We still have eight kids in our home right now. And so my wife, Lauren, and I having to be the the virtual teachers and instructors and learn a little bit about computers and going online it's been an education for us as well. Uh, you sound like you've stayed busy. And JB, how about your family? Well, un- unlike uh, Coach Dungy and Lauren, I'm not a principal at an elementary school with eight kids to teach right now. But my daughter is engaged with um, my four grandkids who are six, eight, 10, and 12. But for me, uh, I've been at home with my wife and my sister-in-law. And it's been a blessing because quite frankly, uh, without having such a frenetic and um, aggressive schedule like Tony Dungy was alluding to, I've gotten a chance to see the real uh, blessings, the gifts and strengths that my wife brings to the table. Mm. So I have even more um, reverence for her, if you will, uh, in terms of what she brings to the table. And I'm also getting an opportunity to spend a lot more time in the word of God. I am so Amen. thankful to have a relationship with Coach Dungy, who loves the word so much, and it's not unusual for us several times a week to call each other just to talk about a passage of scripture or that which he teaches us in our weekly Bible study sessions, John. Well, I'm curious, uh, both of you have alluded to a couple of different things. Uh, JB, I'll start with you. What is something you feel like you've learned through this process? You were mentioning your wife. Is this something you're hoping to take away from this experience as we move forward? Yes, uh, very succinctly, number one, I've learned as I've had a chance to reflect over my schedule, I have majored in a lot of minor things. Mm. Uh, In a busy schedule, we tend to let so much creep in, and especially with a help-oriented attitude, wanting to try to do all things. And Coach Dungy has helped me with uh, some parameters within which to make decisions, and they are biblically sound, so I am going to implement them more Uh, seriously once we get back to whatever the new normal is too. I mentioned about my wife in terms of uh, she's a Bible college teacher uh, at our church and she's very deep in helping me along with Coach Dungy to grow deeply in the word. And the third and final thing is my brother, 
Coach Dungey can certainly relate to this as well, and he'll share it himself. But my brother, uh, my youngest brother, has been challenged severely um, being prepared for a third leg amputation uh, coming up on uh, Thursday. But yet he is remarkably strong in the Lord. He feels free in the Lord, overcoming uh, some consequences of a poor lifestyle decisions early on. But he's free in the Lord now, and I am forever thankful. And JB, certainly he will remain in our prayers, uh, as well as the rest of the family, too. Thank you. And, and Coach Dungey, I, I, I pose the same question to you. Of course, it sounds like with all the experience you're gaining, you could probably write a book now on virtual schooling. Well, I, I could, but uh, I'll tell you what I've learned in this. Um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is in the book of James, and it has come clear to us where James said, you shouldn't say in a year, we're going to do this and that. We're going to move mm -hmm. to this city, and this is what's going to happen. We try to take control of things. We have plans, and that's a good thing, but we can't supersede the Lord's plans. Mm -hmm. And I think God just showed all of us, hey, I can stop every plan that you have. I can put you on hold, so you need to understand that. And uh, it, it's given me a feeling of not trying to be in control of every single situation and every single moment. And I think it's taught our whole family the things that are really important, things that we thought we couldn't do without, we're learning to do without. So it, it's been great. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think you bring up a great point. For many, it's almost a grieving process. They're, they're grieving the loss of that normal, their relationships that they're used to seeing in the hallways of their workplace, uh, and certainly times that uh, we never expected heading in 2020. I even saw a meme the other day on uh, Facebook, I believe it was. Someone said if 2020 was a bag of chips, it'd probably be the, the equivalent of orange juice and toothpaste. And so um, as we're facing the unexpected, you know, in your book, I, I'd like to refer to something you said, because I think it speaks so much to where people are. Uh, in your book, Quiet Strength, you say things will go wrong at times. However, you can always control your attitude, approach, and response. Your options are to complain or to look ahead and figure out how to make the situation better. And I'm curious, for our friend who's watching now, would you mind sharing a time in your life where you were faced with those very options? Well, John, that probably is my whole life. And that quote actually came from my dad. When I was a little kid, anytime I would come home uh, and complain about anything, the teacher didn't give me the right grade, the coach wouldn't put me in the game, this happened, uh, whatever happened, my dad would look at me, he'd listen, and then he'd say, okay, I, I hear you. Now, what are you going to do to make it better? Mm -hmm. And that became my mantra um, because we can do that. We can sit there and talk about all the things that went wrong, all the things we're not able to do. Uh, but in reality, we've got to move forward. And the best way to move forward is figure out what we can do and specifically what we can do to make things better. So that's what we focused on as a family in this whole uh, probably six-week, eight-week period. Okay, we're not able to see our friends as much. We're not able to go live. We're not able to go to school. How can we make this situation better and, and flourish? And so that's been our MO. You know, as you've been learning those lessons and trying to follow your father's advice, what are some things that have helped you along the way? Some things that maybe either a verse that came to mind when you needed it most or uh, maybe you saw something that just put a smile on your face to remind you God was there. Well, I'm going to give you two things. Biblically, uh, John 16, 33, I have focused on that so much during the, these last couple of months. Jesus said, I've told you all these things so that you'll have peace. 
And in this world, you are going to have problems. You're going to have trials. You're going to have sorrows. You're going to have disappointment. That is the world we live in. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So it's led me to, number one, always think when I'm starting to get frustrated, be of good cheer. Take heart. Jesus has got this. And then the second thing I heard was um, at the beginning of this, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was being interviewed, and he talked about his relationship with John Wooden. And he said one of the things Coach Wooden used to tell them, don't let what you cannot do get in the way of what you can do. Mm -hmm. And that was so powerful. You know, we can always think of the 20 things we can't do, but there are a lot of things God is allowing us to do, and that's what we can focus on and enjoy. And so that's, that's kind of the two things that I have tried to take out of this. Hey, number one, Jesus has got it. Be of good cheer. And then number two, focus on what we are able to do. You know, I think that's such a great point because it is. We, we can become consumed almost with the things that, you know, it's kind of the red button principle. We're told not to press the red button, but that's exactly what we want to do when we feel like we can't. And, and, and I think even too, and JB, I, I'd like to ask you about this. Um, there are times, I think, in our lives where we really feel like, I really want this. I'm ready to work for this. I'm ready to pursue this. Um, I, you know, there's a stirring in my soul. I think that it's from God, but I want to see what it is and just run for it. You know, uh, when I had the privilege of seeing you a couple of years ago at the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove in Asheville, you had shared something that I'm not sure maybe many people were aware of. Your uh, dream, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your dream originally was to play professional basketball. Is that right? Despite the, um, the fluctuating size and girth that you may see on me at times, because I fully <laughs> immersed myself into football and maybe wanted to look like one of the linemen who were blocking for Tony Dungy, the quarterback. Uh, yeah, basketball was my, um, was my dream. Bill Bradley was a hero of mine, the mm. former senator and a candidate for president. And I saw how far his basketball team at Princeton had gone into the NCAA. So I knew that it was possible to marry academics and athletics. And that certainly strengthened my desire to go to a great school. Um, but here are some lessons that I failed to uh, internalize. My high school coach was very good friends with John Wooden of UCLA fame, Hank Iba, a name from way back in the day, and uh, Dean Smith of UNC, et cetera. One of the lessons he taught us is that there's no such thing as standing still in, in, in basketball. You're either getting better or you're regressing. And he said, mm -hmm. think about in the off season when players get better. If you're taking time off, somebody else out there is working to get better. And if you two ever meet on the court, Guess who's going to win that matchup? And I remember that in high school, where I was blessed to become a two-time high school All-America, recruited by a couple hundred colleges and all of that. But when I got to college, complacency and uh, resting on one's laurels crept in subtly. Coach Dungey preached on a topic called death by inches. And I didn't realize that was applicable there. So when I was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks, in the fourth round and met up with guys like Pete Maravich, who, by the way, I'm so glad that he came to know the Lord um, before he passed uh, years ago. God bless him. I knew I could play. Lou Hudson, a big star, then Pete Maravich, they were saying, JB, you've got great game. Hang in there. Well, when the coach cut me, I couldn't believe it because I knew I was playing well. But when I stopped to think about it, I realized that you don't make up in six months what you didn't um, assiduously work on in the four years prior to. So my work ethic from there, and I've been rightly accused of being a workaholic, 
is that I would never let an opportunity pass me by for which I was ill-prepared. And that lesson that coach taught me that there's no such thing as standing still, you get better or you regress, has guided me in everything that I do. So I'm glad to be on the periphery of sports and doing what I'm doing now. It's enjoyable and I'm very thankful for it. But that was a very painful but a very um, serious lesson I learned. So when you look back on that moment where you felt like, okay, God, the path is going in a different direction now. You know, obviously that must have been tough. What were the things that helped encourage you through that process? What were the things that helped keep your spirit and uh, lifted when you needed it most? It probably ties in more with the year after I was cut, maybe six months afterwards, that there was this God-sized vacuum that you hear most people talk about. And life was empty for me, no matter the you know, local acclaim and uh, things that I was doing in corporate America with an opportunity to work up the corporate ladder to big things. It was empty. And I, that's when I asked the Lord into my heart. I said, Lord, if you're real, please show me that you're real. And sadly, the very next week, um, I, Tony Dungy has heard this so many times, I went out to a party a bunch of my friends had asked me to go to engaging in hedonistic pursuits. And uh, I got invited to a pajama party at age 24, a pajama party. And I felt like I committed high treason. And I apologize to the Lord, but that began a 12-year search for a good word-teaching church. Let me close by saying this. When I realized what real success was, which is the way Joshua 1.8 describes it, what good success is, that became the foundation upon which I built everything. So whatever I'm pursuing, it has to match what the biblical foundations are for me to pursue it. Mm, such a good word. Such a good word. And I appreciate you both sharing some transparency. You know, one of the things that we find so oftentimes is, um, and I would think even especially as men, uh, so oftentimes we feel like our value is tied to our performance. And both of you understand the high demands. You both have very public jobs. Certainly uh, things are being watched and monitored to see how the success was being measured. And, and I'll throw this out there. Uh, during this pandemic, uh, many families have spent more time together. And while that's great to create memories, sometimes that also can highlight some relational challenges. Uh, it's not quite as easy to sneak away. And so I'm curious, as you look, as you look over the course of your careers and even recently, how do you find that balance between making sure you're giving it your best professionally while at the same time maintaining that high level of uh, of effort for your family as well. Coach Dungey, we'll start with you. Yeah, I was really blessed. Uh, I went to professional sports uh, to in 1977 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Chuck Noll was our coach. And the very first thing he told us in the first meeting was, welcome to the National Football League. It's your profession now, but don't make football your life. If you make mm -hmm. football your whole life, you're going to leave the game at some time you might be 25, 30, 35, 40. At some point, you're going to leave the game and you're going to be disappointed. And I remember thinking, wow, here's a guy who's won multiple Super Bowls and he's saying, don't make your sport your life. Well, I, I worked for him for 10 years and I, I got to see him model that for us and talk about that and preach that to us. And I had veteran players who embraced that and other Christian guys who helped me discover that. That balance that you talk about, honoring the Lord, honoring your family, honoring your community, and trying to be excellent in your profession, it is a balance, uh, but it, it's what we need. And I think the Lord just continued to show that to me over the years. I, I ended up climbing the ladder fairly well, especially when I started coaching. 
And then I'd been six years the head coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and I got fired because we didn't win a Super Bowl. And it's that performance that you're talking about, John, that everybody looks at. And all of a sudden, I started to think, gosh, my performance wasn't good enough. And I did get fired, and this is terrible. But my identity, by that time, my identity wasn't in my job. It wasn't in my performance. My identity was in Christ, so I was able to move forward. And JB, I'll pose the same question to you. Maybe for those who aren't familiar with broadcasting, certainly ratings and things come into play as they're watching to see how are the viewers or the listeners interacting. How do you maintain that right perspective? Uh, again, it's all uh, on a foundation based on biblical principles. I remember after being cut by the Atlanta Hawks, uh, I mentioned uh, working in corporate America, and many people thought that was the plum job and was moving up the ladder with a very promising future. But the broadcasting industry piqued my interest. And uh, I even asked a number of people to get advice, and they thought that I would be crazy to leave the corporate environment to go out here and broadcast. I was uh, using my vacation time to moonlight for the team that was then named the Washington Bullets, of course, the Washington Wizards now, making $250 a game. And people thought I'd lost my mind. But there was a passion there, and things were starting to happen as I crept up the ladder. But as I became more aware of what the biblical principles were and that I was to do all things, Colossians 3.23, heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man, that became my focus and things were happening even, happening even more rapidly. But I had to make sure I didn't let the job define me. Even as I was growing in the word and Coach Dungey and I were developing a relationship that little did I think would morph into what it is now how the Lord has guided that. But I'm always mindful that the first headship responsibilities that the Lord has given us is to the family. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives, even more so, listen to your wives. It's a unit. That's what he's going to judge us on. So if I'm taking care of home, growing in my relationship, I put everything else in his hands. He's my agent. Psalm 75, 6 and 7, promotion doesn't come from the east nor the West, nor the South. God is a judge. He puts down one and um, appoints another, if you will. So, and being able to talk through those things with someone like Coach Dungy helped to reinforce that. My first prayer when, after Tony talked about getting fired, effectively, I was fired from CBS the first go around when we lost the NBA, lost Major League Baseball, lost the NFL, you know, all of those things. I'm thinking, wow, what am I going to do? But that was my first test when I as a young Christian saying, Lord, you told me if I take care of your business, you'll take care of my business, a colloquial interpretation according to James Brown. Uh, but in fact, he did that because little was I aware, he would promote, free, promote me from being a fourth or fifth team play-by-play -play guy to go to Fox and co-host with one of Coach Dungy's former teammates with Terry Bradshaw. So the point is, I realize if I give it to him and don't get, don't get concerned about it, he will handle the future. Tony referenced that early on in terms of something he's learned. Let me just focus on maximizing whatever it is I'm doing to his glory. You know, JB, I'd like to follow up on that because I think for, uh, for many of us, especially as fathers, uh, there's something called dad guilt. That's why I've heard it affectionately dubbed, uh, whether, it's, whether it's with the kids or maybe it's with a spouse as well. You know, sometimes we go through those seasons of life where we ask ourselves, God, how can I have done this better? What is it you're trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me through this process? 
And we hear from folks who are saying, you know, I want to do better. I want to, I want to lead my family well. I want to live up to this title of spiritual leader, but I'm not even sure where to start. If you were to sit down and talk with them today one-on-one, how would you encourage them? Wow, great question. And I know Dungey's going to be able to answer that too, because with eight kids that he and Lauren are teaching, my gosh, she certainly brings some lessons <laughs> to the table with that. But you know what, John? And one thing that I've been blessed to learn, even as Coach and I go through going, growing deeper in the Lord, it really is all about the Word. If we go to God's Word, God's Word tells us everything, not that we want to know, but that we need to know. When it talks about training up a child in the way that they should go, and when they get older, they won't deviate. And even if they do, they've got the Word in them that will bring them back on path. And we've all gone through those experiences. Those kids are like little movie cameras. They're listening to everything that you say, but more importantly, they're watching everything. So we're giving them the compass by which they will guide their lives and navigate. And that compass ought to be controlled by the Lord in that regard. Look, God's ways aren't our ways, but I believe him that when he says something, he says what he means and he means what he says. So to the degree that we can be taught the word of God, that should always be our guide. My mother, before she went home to be with the Lord, she always made this point. When I asked her, Mom, what do you think? What's your opinion about this or that? Her response, John, would always be, I don't have an opinion. Let's go see what the word of God says about it and let that be our governor. And that's the way I've gone about it. Coach Dungey, same question. Yeah, I would chime in on that too. Uh, so many parents, fathers especially, well, what do I need to say, say? What do I need to be able to talk to my kids about? Uh, Coach Noel had a great saying when I played for him in Pittsburgh. Uh, if you want to be an effective player, know what to do, know how to do it, and then do it. And I think that is really the, the kind of the message to our, our dads out there. Know what to do. How do we set the right tempo? Well, that's the Bible. We've got to understand what God says. Take that in. Know how to do it. Honor God in everything that we do. And then if we do that every day, we're going to be effective parents. And, yeah, we may miss times that we, we say things. I uh, had a conversation with our 28-year-old son. We were on a bike ride. And both of us are off, and we're trying to social distance. And so we're on a long bike ride. And he told me that his career in real estate really picked up when he started tithing. And I said, oh, Eric, I wish I'd have talked to you more about that. Uh, when you were growing up, it is important. And he said, no, Dad, I saw you tithe. I saw you write the checks out every week. And I knew it. I just had to grasp it myself. And that told me one thing. They watch us a lot more than they listen to it. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Mm. Awesome. Mm. That is so true. So true. And I, I tell you, as a young father myself, uh, you guys are helping me. So thank you very much. A six and a four-year-old is, um, it's amazing what, exactly what you said. Not only are they listening, but they're watching. And, and I'll also, tell you a story, John, another yeah, one please. along those lines. JB's heard this. Uh, my son, Jordan, now is, he's 19, but he was a youngster. And my favorite, well, Guys laugh at me because when I was coaching, when I got upset and I really got mad, I would say, you got to be kidding me. And then if I was really, really, really mad, I would say, you've got to be kidding me. Well, I came home one day and Jordan was about six years old and his younger brother, Justin, had broken his favorite truck. And he, was, he looked at this truck, he picked it off the ground, he saw it was broken, he wasn't going to be able to fix it. 
and he just looked at the truck and he looked at Justin and he said, you got to be kidding me. And I just thought, you know, of all the things that he's watched me do and say and see when I got mad, it could have been terrible. It could have been bad language. It could have been something. But he did what he saw modeled to him. And that taught me another lesson, too. They are always watching us. And, and that's, that's the key to parenting, doing the right thing. Hey, John, if I could coattail off a of coach, I mean, that, that, I love that story every time I hear it. And what Coach had to say, his operative word <clears throat> to me was modeling. It, I know it's credited to uh, St. Francis of Assisi, and Coach has heard this so many times, but uh, at least he says that many people would prefer to see a good sermon than hear a good sermon. Now, my story isn't quite as uh, good as Tony's, but my six-year-old grandson, we were over, I was over at his house, and we were doing something, and I wanted to correct them, and my voice went from kind of an octave to a lower when I said, no, you can't do that. So one of his sisters came down and when they were about to engage in the same activity that he was, and JJ, my grandson, said, no, Pop-Pop said, you can't do that. You know, so they, they do model everything. Amen. I might have to try the octave, though. If that works, that might be something to keep in mind. But, you, you know, we're talking about, you know, not only are our kids watching us, obviously our spouses as well. And, and, and you know, I was told, told a long time ago when I was in marriage counseling, uh, it scared me to death, but it was very effective, saying one day you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to ask you, what did you do with the family that I allowed you to have? And I was terrified, but it also reminded me that my wife is his daughter first. And mm -hmm. so when we have listeners who will you know, tune in for a teaching program we might air or attend a seminar, even at the Cove, many times the women will say, I just wish I knew how to encourage my husband to know, let him know that I believe in him, to let him know that I see the potential. I see the things God is working on, but I'm not sure how to do that. So uh, Jamie, we'll start with you this time. Uh, if you were to encourage someone who's maybe trying to figure that out, what were some things along the way that really encouraged you? In terms of marriage, John? Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, you know what, going back to that principal scripture in Ephesians 5, 25, uh, it's a pretty significant responsibility <clears throat> because just as we know that the church is the bride of Jesus um, and that the church is to pattern itself after what Jesus has said, our wives will willingly follow us as we follow the dictates, the prescriptions, if you will, the precepts, principles of what Jesus tells us. Pretty significant responsibility. And that if you're pointing a finger or blame of somebody, then there are three pointing right back at you. I mentioned during this COVID-19 um, pandemic where we're sheltered in place, I've seen how my wife has modeled it so much better than me. Here's a very instructive story before, and then you let Tony do it. So John, this is early in my Christian walk um, with still some of the worldly DNA in me in terms of what a husband is supposed to be like, and that you're always going to be right in terms of how you manage the household, we had a disagreement about something, my wife and I. I was at fault, but the worldly influence was, well, you know what, I'm not going to admit that. You know, she needs to acknowledge such and such in terms of what she did that wasn't right in this discussion. The Bible says, let not the sun go down on your wrath. The extension of that, clearly we know that opens the door for the evil one to get in there and cause all kinds of havoc in the relationship. Before the sun went down that night, 
my wife came to me and she apologized profusely for creating an air of friction. John, I thought about that big because she was right, I was wrong, but I saw her model that and I needed to give her credit for that, but not have me be on the losing side of the ledger going forward in terms of modeling what Christ means in his word, how we're to honor our wives and to make certain that they know that we honor them as well too, which will create a very wholesome and loving and mutually beneficial uh, relationship. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Mm, 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 mm. Coach Dungey, I'll pose you the same question about what is what have you seen in your relationship with Lauren that things that she did to encourage you uh, to continue to grow, to continue to walk forward? The best thing Lauren has done for me, John, it, you know, when you're following the leader and we're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the household, uh, it's easy to follow when you agree. And the big thing that she's done to encourage me is when we've had a discussion and she hasn't necessarily agreed, she says, okay, you're the leader and that's the way we're going to go. And if a wife will do that for a husband, that is really encouraging we're not going to be perfect. We're not always going to have the best decision, but that is going to encourage me the next time is I've got to make sure I'm loving my wife and I'm making decisions that are going to be the best for our household because my wife is going to support me no matter what I do, what I do and what I say, as long as it's godly. Well, gentlemen, I think you bring up great points and I also appreciate just the wisdom that you've shared. It's been passed along to you. Um, and I know without a doubt, the conversations we had today is going to be an encouragement to someone else and uh, wanting to be mindful of your time. I'd like to quickly close with this. How can we pray for you? Uh, each one of you have such a, uh, again, as we identified earlier, public job. You're seen by a lot of people, uh, but you also have a passion to share the word. And so, uh, JB, certainly praying for your brother and what he's facing coming up. Uh, but how else can we pray for you and Dorothy? Probably the best way that I can mention is that which I've heard other people in visible positions say, uh, even in the secular world. And I knew what Charles Barkley meant when he said to young people that he's not, or athletes should not be role models, their parents should be. And he's accurate. But the fact of the matter is, those in positions of visibility do have influence, and de facto, they are role models. So all that I would ask is that you just keep me lifted in prayer, focused on the assignment that the Lord has me um, carrying out right now and whatever it may be. The point is I never want to stumble someone based on a slip by me because the Bible does say, be careful how you stand lest you fall. And it also says in Matthew 24, 24, uh, if, the, if the very elect, and I'm not considering myself to be the elect, but the principle is the very elect can be fooled if it were to be so. So just keep me prayed up to stay focused resolutely on what the Lord has me doing and remember that everything is to his glory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Coach Dungy? And I think for me, John, it would be uh, just a prayer that I can be more effective in pointing people to Christ. Uh, I want to start, obviously, with my eight kids at home. But I also, I, I want to point people to Christ and finding the ways to do that, the right ways, the most effective way. And as JB said, continuing to live in a way that's going to shine the light on Christ. Uh, that would be my prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, gentlemen, you have our prayers, but you also have our appreciation. Uh, thank you for the willingness to share about your faith. Thank you for the willingness to serve and, uh, and set the example the way you do. It's been a privilege this afternoon uh, to be able to spend this time together, and uh, I look forward to the next time. Hey, if I can say this to Coach Dungey as we chime in about you, John, what a smooth ambassador for Christ you are. Awesome. Amen. You might have a Thanks. future in this business. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I recorded you saying that. I might need it later on. So, <laughs> Guys, thanks so much. Take care. Thank God you. Bless.